Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you're all having a fantastic week. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about how brands could be implementing personalization into their website and other customer touch points to create a much more powerful experience for their customers. Uh, customers these days are expecting more and more from websites, and we're seeing evidence that consumers are more and more willing to use different technologies, engage with tools, and even things like quizzes if they really see a benefit to using them. However, lots of companies just aren't keeping up with this. With me today, I've got Sarah Curran, the uh, UK Managing Director for Truefit, and we're going to be exploring a bit of the detail around personalization and hopefully give you some great ideas to go away and think about for yourself. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Could you tell us a bit about yourself, a bit of your background and why you've got to where you are now? Yeah, sure. Lovely to uh, to join you on your podcast. So um, my name's Sarah Curran. I'm currently the Managing Director for uh, Truefit in EMEA. Truefit is a global personalization platform focused specifically within fashion in, uh, in retail. My, I guess, my retail fashion journey um, has uh, was started in 2003 when I opened a, a physical store. Um, I then went to uh, launch uh, my wardrobe in 2005. We were the second um, digital platform to launch uh, within the EU territory. Um, and then uh, I subsequently left in 2011, joined Shop Direct as luxury director, launched Very Exclusive, which was a platform specifically for their premium uh, customers uh, and were selling sort of premium sort of product. Um, I then left in 2017. I sit as a non-exec director for connection um, i've also sat uh, as an NED for other sort of fashion brands across europe and um and yeah so everything i know about uh retail personalization i've sort of lived breathed grown through the the pains um so when i had the opportunity to to join Truefit, um i i really jumped at the chance awesome so yeah can you tell us a bit more about Truefit then um exactly what you do because i've i've kind of got personalization in mind but i don't know if that's really the right right word for what you'd you yeah don't um don't be kind of confused by the the reference to fit so um we launched in 2005 we were the first size and fit solution actually of its kind um and from that the the product stack has really evolved and grown so um obviously true fit the name tends to um make people think that all we do is uh, size, fit and help sort of reduce returns. But actually now it's very much a platform um, that supports digital retail uh, and e-com across every single touch point of the customer's journey and experience. So our focus is really one-to-one personalization, but it's also about driving up key metrics whilst they're on the journey but it's also about supporting um i guess through insights uh, and intel supporting the retailer and the brand in the supply chain understanding at the very beginning of um of that of that sort of customer's journey you know before the product even lands online uh, right through to then um, dealing with and, and helping to drive down returns. So it's a very, it's a real end-to-end uh, personalization platform. Okay, brilliant. So can you give us some examples of, of how it would actually 
uh, affect the, the customer. So if you were a customer on a website, what sort of touch points um, would you yeah, experience? So, so the, the unique thing about um, TrueFit and the True Experience platform is what's called our genome. So the genome is, is very much the brains of um, the platform. So we have had obviously over 15 years worth of data um, that we've accrued. Uh, we've transacted on over $200 billion worth of sales and returns. There's a lot of intel in, within that. Uh, we work with uh, 17,000 brands in terms of absorbing their uh, product specifications. So we actually know the size and fit um, of every garment. So um, and we have over 200 million registered users. So that means that if I go to Bowdoin, who is one of our UK uh, retailers, um, and I am looking at uh, and I purchase um, a, uh, a, a sort of a lovely cashmere jumper, uh, and then I go to Ralph Lauren because Ralph and uh, and Bowden are TrueFit customers. I will automatically be recognised when I land on um, on Ralph Lauren, and also the the size uh, that I've purchased, and um, by answering some quick questions, the size that the algorithm recognises me to be is instantly shown for that um, for that designer across every touch point of, um, of the website. So this is where we go into true personalization. So there's that element, but then there's also um, attribution, style attribution. Um, so, and the perfect example is when I look at my wardrobe, um, you know, I have a hundred black shirts, but every single black shirt, I know specifically what it's there for, but my husband will just look at it and will go, you know, why do you need another black shirt? So it's it's quite similar when it when a, a an e-com retailer makes a star recommendation. Um, what we need to understand is the true um, stylability of every customer and also of every product. So we have a team in Mumbai who are amazing. They tag every product with about 30 data points relevant to style, fabric, uh, stretch, any particular detail, etc. Um, so that when I land back onto Ralph Lauren, the algorithm, the platform knows instinctively what my style is. And I think that the challenge with fashion um, and um and taking that online. And this is where personalization plays such a key role because it's not good enough to just show me styles that pertain to um, brands that I've already bought into or the generic kind of color or a category because I don't wear dresses. I don't wear skirts. So don't show me any, any of those. Um, I never wear color other than black or white or gray. So I never wear pinks or reds or purples. Um, I never wear print. So don't show me any of that. And we've got so used to um, this poor style recommendation where actually it's the the, the tags and, and the, the rules around what gets shown just aren't sophisticated enough for the customer and where she is sort of in today in the world in what she's seeing and the service she's getting elsewhere yeah so, so that's a, a brief overview 
Yeah. So I suppose some companies will might be super basic and just say you only buy black clothing, so let's just show you black clothing. Another might say yeah. you buy black tops, so show you our range of black tops. But with true yeah. fit, you'd be able to say, well, it's this specific type of top totally. in, in it's a, a certain yeah, fit and a, size. That that's totally. that's what you always buy. Therefore, only totally. show you those. Yeah, because, yeah, because there are, um, you know, in terms of the, the trends and, uh, you know, the details on a particular garment, you know, there are things that, um, you know, I'm an extremely classic purchaser in my style. So I don't want any, I don't want bells, whistle, anything like that. So don't show it to me. And the idea that it's just, okay, I'm just going to show you, uh, styles or uh, products that when we look at our, at your sales history relate more to, um, color, uh, trend, you know, sort of a, a range or category or designer. That is so 2008. It's embarrassing. And we need to stop, you know, this, this buzzword personalization, um, you know, people need to put their money where their mouth is because I'd say that Coke cans at one point had more personalization than, than quite a few sort of retail platforms. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I know you, you do get some people who are very brand loyal and will only yeah. shop with a certain brand or, or certain brands. Um, mm. I know that myself, I, I'm more of a style and fit person. If a, yeah. if a brand has the t-shirt or trousers or whatever in the style and fit that I like, then they're an option for me to buy from. Um, But there's always that problem of what does, what does this company's size mean compared to this company's size? Um, What's their, what's their definition of fit? And that's where all these, all these problems come in, which is why in some cases I do end up very brand loyal because I just know this, this company has the product that fits me. And I've, I've got to a point where I just don't trust other brands because I've, ended up returning I, products and it's just I completely w- w- agree. why I take the risk when I can buy from this one brand again. And also the challenge has been that there has been a lack of consistency across the various UK retailers and high street, but also there's a lack of consistency within various brands. Um, and that is because it depends where the item was manufactured um, and so, you know, as an industry, we know that there, you know, it causes us enormous um, pain points from loss of margin um, because, you know, if it's frustrating for you and a, you know, you, you choose to to go where you trust the retailer and the size, um, you know, it, it means sort of a, a real sort of financial hit for that retailer and brand. So, you know, with um, with the True Experience platform, you know, it really is uh, such an exciting opportunity to to tidy up um, and get get a handle of understanding. OK, so let's let's say that, you know, you can't overcome the inconsistency that uh, might be seen within a brand. Okay, so in that case, you absolutely need to be having and working with um, a solution, um, a digital solution that can support and give a better customer experience. Because I'm sure if you were to, um, you know, to sort of 
go onto a brand which you haven't purchased before, if you then are able to reference what size you are within that brand, um, and even if there's a particular style, uh, then we would then feed you the recommended size. Um, and we do that because essentially everything, all the data that's in our genome um, is essentially the algorithm is, is placing these products in groups of similar size, regardless of actually if they are a similar size. Yeah. Yeah. In, you know, we all know that, you know, the, in the US, you know, there's there's a, a size skew. So, you know, the star range in the US tends to come up big. Um, in Italy and France, they tend to come up small. Spain seems to be OK. We've got the Nordics in Germany that tend to skew a little bit larger. The UK, the UK is a mishmash of everything. Yeah, I, mean, I suppose one of the issues we've got is the fact that so many brands use small, medium, large. Yeah. But like, like you said, the, the, the differences between each brand is, is there, but also each mm. brand might have different products that use the same category for the customer, but also have different, uh, specifications in the actual, like, make of the, make of the product. Um, yeah. I mean, it is a, it's been a real, pain point headache for the industry um and i feel that's you know to a certain extent the the sort of personalization and um the sort of digital transformation of many retailers traditional retailers who were so focused and had such a legacy uh footprint on the high street where the customer would sort of try on the item because they weren't sort of sufficiently advanced when COVID hit um, and stores were closed, you know, they really missed out on um, on this sort of growth and this opportunity. So now they're playing catch up. And I think that the, the, the challenge and the, the complexity was that, you know, we know these brands knew that they had these issues with size and fit, lack of consistency, but actually there's always a bigger problem. You know, the investment in, um, in sort of IT and, and tech, there's always something a little bit more exciting maybe to um, to sort of make large investments in if you're sort of looking at your IT infrastructure or replatforming. So it, you know, it was just, um, you know, it was, a, it was a perfect storm. Yeah, I think when it comes to tech and product, there's always replatforming or a new uh, a new database to migrate to or something which which tends to yeah. to take their priority until marketing can or operations or whoever can kind of push through this sort of um, project um what what would be some of the like key direct benefits to a business of using a tool like truefit so it's all about really truly understanding your um your customer to a to a really kind of deep level but ultimately you know why do you want to get to understand your customer because actually we want we always want to be able to send sell more and more frequently to our customer so how do we do that how you know we need to step back and we need to say okay well you know we need to understand what they like what they buy um you know what are they buying elsewhere and we can support with that um that insight and data as well um, so that gives them the retail or the brand the uh, understanding of, OK, so maybe this is an opportunity for us to widen our range. Um, but also it's about, I guess, for me, the way I see it, um, 
it's really about protecting margin and driving stronger full price selling. Um, you know, how do we drive in loyalty and engagement? For a long time, the idea was, you know, let's just um, let's push out some discounts um, and incentivize and trigger purchase. That sort of that that is now white noise to a customer. Actually, what they want is they want great product. They want to be on a on a website where they feel that, um, you know, you you belong. If you can land on a website and you go onto a product listing page and actually all the products listed are relevant to your size, um, your style affinity um, and things that you might like as well and products that you are purchasing on another site, but maybe you don't know that we offer that and we do that range. So it's about really showing the customer more of your product portfolio but very much curated to them. So that's the kind of that's where I want us to go and where, where I want us to to be in terms of delighting the customer. That's what drives loyalty. And we prove it through our key metrics. You know, we have we're able to see that we drive up uh, conversion. We drive up um, AOV and AOF. Um, ultimately, we drive up um, sort of incremental revenue. So, you know, those are all the validations that it's working. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, so. I, I talk about kind of customer value a lot and customer value optimization. So I think this yeah. would be really useful in, in email marketing, particularly, um, or push notifications yeah. as well, where like in, instead of getting that email, which just says, here's a bunch of products we want to sell to you. And also they all happen to be 15% off. You can say, mm-hmm. Here are some new products that we think are perfect for you. And then you open yeah. up that email and it's your style. You can almost see yourself Absolutely. wearing that, wearing that product. Completely. Um, Completely. And that's, you know, that's one of the other, um, products, um, or parts of the stack or parts of the platform. You know, we, we work on, uh, product feeds, um, which are specific to, um, you know, the, that retailer brand, their consumer, but also potential future opportunities to upsell, um, and broaden out the range. So again, it's about tailoring not only the online experience, but it's then going through to CRM. It's then going through to sort of other feeds. Um, and that's what makes it really, really exciting. And look, I've always been. For me, my passion stems in um, living and breathing through the eyes of the customer. So I'm always looking at how can we make, because, you know, in, in retail and specifically fashion, you know, we have to remember what our purpose is. And our purpose is to make the customer feel great about what they bought, great about themselves. Um, and you know, and we, if we get ourselves back into that, you know, the first part of delighting the customer in Retail 101 is, you know, making sure you, you know, you give them the, you know, the product that you know that they want. And also from an affordability perspective, because that's also important to avoid having to um, incentivize uh, and, and give discounts you know, being the only time that your customer sort of is purchasing, maybe that's because there's an affordability issue. Um, so, you know, all these sort of sorts of things in the, in the, uh, 
a key to really delighting the customer, which ultimately drives loyalty. If you can attribute your brand, your retail with a sense of delight, um, you create the first hook of driving loyalty. Yeah, absolutely. Um, are there any kind of misconceptions around using this this kind of deep detail in personalization? Um, I think I've seen I've, I've seen some stats. I can't remember what the number was now, but quite a lot, quite a large number of consumers are willing to hand over personal information, you know, data, in order to get a more personalized experience. So that's uh, yeah, from a consumer point you're... of view. That, that's not an issue. So what, what is holding yeah. back businesses? What, what's making them think this isn't worth it or it's not right for us? I think, I think it's, um, I think the, the first, there are two, uh, misconceptions. The first is this view, this thinking that, um, data is scary. Um, and I think that stems from a lack of real understanding of the true A to Zs of data that are involved. So we work with what is termed as low risk data because we don't actually hold any sort of personal information, um, you know, other than size. Um, so actually there's nothing that can be, can happen, uh, with that data. Now I appreciate that, you know, that data is the thing is data's not going anywhere. So we need to kind of, first of all, get, um, get our heads around it. Um, but to, to put uh, personalization data at our level into this pot that, you know, it's, it's dangerous. It's just too broad. Um, we spend a long time talking to our new potential partners specifically around the points of data. Um, and I feel that, you know, there's been there was this huge scare, rightly so, Cambridge Analytica. Um, and I feel that the customer, like you say, the customer is um, I think there's this data wasn't there. Ninety percent of consumers are willing to share their data. I think it came from Smarter HQ. Um, the customer is more advanced in what they're prepared to give away. Um, than the retailers willing to uh, look into. I think they just look at data and they feel it's dangerous, don't touch it. Um, but it really isn't. It's it sort of, you just need to understand and inform yourself. Yeah, I think I think some of that probably comes out of, out of things like GDPR, where the, the regulations and the regulatory bodies say, you can't like be really careful with personal data, uh, you know, you've got to delete it if you're not using it. You've got to do all these things and it makes brands think that must be what the customer wants because that's what, that's, that must be feeding into the regulations and that's why the regulations are coming in. But actually it's yeah. just don't abuse the data. That's the real thing. It's, people are happy with the yeah. brand having that data. It's, it's brands who are either really negligent with it and let that data get stolen or brands yeah. who sell the data or or brands i guess brands that just spam and and in those are the yeah. ones who who aren't actually collecting that detailed data they're just you know they collect email address and all that and then just hammer people with emails and that makes people get upset about handing over their email address um, yeah but you know i think that there was a need for this cleaning up 
um, because the amount of spam we would uh, we would all get hit with um, was, you know, it, it really damaged um, the the sort of email as what was once a really strong channel for sales and revenue. Um, because you, you know, you've got some people who, and my husband, one of them, he's got one account that he uses for, I guess he never checks it. And that's where all his sort of, uh, orders, I guess, go. And that's where he gets all this spam. But anything that's really of value, he gets sent to, um, you know, his consultant's address or his, his sort of work address. So you have to, you have to sort of understand that, you know, we, we needed to tidy up because it was getting very, very sloppy um, and very ineffective. Um, but actually, it really is not um, this scary beast. It's about understanding what, you know, what types of data are you dealing with in? And some of it is common sense. Um, and, you know, and some of it is uh, is a little bit more complex. We're luckily in the area of a little bit more common sense. Um, because it's low risk data, it's, you know, the most damaging thing you could ever get from da- the data from me is what size underwear I wear. And, you know, listen, I'd rather you didn't know, but <laughs> it's not, it's no, you not, you can't really do anything with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just on the GDPR topic, I, I'd be, it'd be really interesting if there is any data out there about the impact it's had, because I always felt that Really, it's it's only going to be damaging. Or it's it's only going to be not damaging, but restrictive to brands who are genuine brands, but just not very good at what they do. The the best brands, mm. nothing really changes because they just they just crack on being good at what they do. Um, yeah. And spammers will just continue spamming because they'll find a ways yeah. to avoid being punished. So, are you are you talking about from GDPR um, the effectiveness of emails as a as a revenue? Well, I, I, th- I think channel. I think email I think email is still fantastic. I think it's still one of the best channels there is. Um, but the the impact it's had in terms of GDPR's had in terms of trying to clean up the email marketing right. landscape. Yeah, I, I I think it's just it's held back. So it held back smaller companies and companies who are maybe less experienced in email marketing and so yeah. just aren't very good at what they're doing and they and they therefore they are they're being more restrictive internally as to what they do with their email marketing. But yeah, sure. I don't I don't think it's cut back on the spam I receive. Because the, the spammers don't care. Maybe a tiny bit, but yeah. I still get huge amounts. I, um... I think it's you see from when I look at my purchasing habits, um, I am I am very um, email just does not you know is not what is going to lead me um, in this kind of you know trance like state to the checkout. Um, for me, you know what really uh, what I find really sort of uh, amazing is how social shopping so instagram that's instagram is is a dangerous sort of retail channel for me because i can you can quite easily find yourself in a trance when you're just sort of swiping down you know sort of when you're looking through the feeds um but uh you know for me it's really that on on you know online experience on site experience um, and showing me the right product, um, ticking all the boxes from affordability to 
to style to fit you know it's sort of the the holy trinity kind of thing that's um so yeah so i'm not i'm not an email but then i'm quite i'm a huge skeptic you know having been on the other side of uh, of the desk as i call it being a retailer you know retail killed my uh, festive spirit you know christmas yeah. is just never the same um with uh since i've been in retail yeah i mean i'm similar i think i can't i, I don't think i buy because of email much at all um the, the might be the odd one and it normally be a promotion if it does um yeah but it's very very rare that it'll drive a purchase from me because i normally most of the time when i want something i'll just go and buy it and it's normally because yeah. it's come to my mind that i think cool i'll go and get that i'll hop online and, and just buy it therefore the emails yeah. there's such a rare occasion when an email catches me at that moment where i do actually want yeah. what that email is offering um, totally yeah so um what are some of the key things people need brands need to be considering if they want to get into this um this kind of next level of personalization it's really it's it's really interesting every uh every sort of strategic partner um new potential partner that i talk to they all come with very different thoughts of what their problem is um and and actually it's uh it's you know, it's quite frequently the um quite sort of it's quite sort of regularly sort of the same issues across all of them but um as an example with Bowdoin you know they were on a mission to improve sort of online experience but they recognized that often their customers were sample sizing so that's where you buy the same product in multiple sizes um to uh, to avoid sort of you know, uh, disappointment if you just buy and make an assumption on one fit. It's quite a common thing. Um, and I've, I'm always surprised by customers who, who make multi- multiple sort of uh, size purchases. It's hugely inefficient. It's hugely damaging from an operational profit perspective. Um, and uh, it was not only is it sort of frustrating for the customer, but it puts friction in the way of, of purchase. But it was also, you know, as I said, costing them uh, a lot of money at the shipping and shipping back of an inevitable sort of return of one of those or more of the garments that was either too big or too small. uh, We worked with them. Just on that, I I think part of that, and this is something that that does kind of bother me in the industry, it's the uh, just the increase in free delivery, uh, sorry, free returns we've seen everywhere. Because everywhere offers free returns. why, Why would you not do that? You know, you get free delivery because yeah. you're going to spend enough. You'll get free returns. So order the three sizes, keep the one you want, return the others. It, it, the the industry has made it too easy to do that. It, yeah. Despite know, the cost I and agree. problems. And that I it think causes. it was, yeah. And I think there came a time where just from a, uh, there was a period where actually I think many brands and retailers actually didn't know the true cost of certain sort of um, negative um sort of purchasing purchasing behaviors um you know what we found when we worked with them to eliminate the the sort of that guesswork uh with the personalization strategy was we sort of helped provide this high fidelity fit um and size recommendation really based on on data on each customer's personal uh preference this helped them improve sort of um shopper confidence and online experience and and reduce sort of the returns so they've seen um this sort of uh 
they saw a 5.1% lift to incremental revenue during the first quarter of 2020, plus an increase of conversion rate uh, of about 3.6% from shoppers using TrueFit. So what that tends to, to mean is then the customer probably purchases more frequently because there's this elimination of a barrier, but also because they're not buying three items of that one style and returning two of them, they're more likely to buy three items of different styles. Um, and, you know, God willing, keeping all of them or only returning one of them. And the only one that they're returning is because, you know, it's not to do with returns or size and fit rather is to do with, you know, it, I didn't like the style. Yeah. You know, we're never going to be able to eliminate, um, all returns because, uh, return, not all returns are linked to size and fit. We've got to, we've got to remember that. Some of it is just like, you know, if you take five items into, um, your local MS, um, you try it on in the changing room. Um, some of them just not going, some of them won't fit, but some of them will just be like, Oh no, that doesn't look right on me. I didn't like the color or whatever it might be. Yep. So it's really interesting. I get so passionate about this because it's, it's something, it's a pain that I've lived and breathed through for many, many years on the other side of the desk when I was a retailer. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, because even with this idea of I might be buying these three items or three different sizes of the same item, um, and I know I'm going to return at least two of them, if not three. Mm. Therefore, I'm only going to pay for one of them. They, that's still, that doesn't mean that they've got much more money to spend because you know, that money's still yeah. going to come out. So if they're thinking I've got, you know, a hundred pounds to spend, you know, yeah, let's say a hundred pounds to spend. So they put those three items in the bag and that reaches a hundred pounds. They haven't got space mm. to then buy yeah. two other products. Because also they're probably going to want to buy three different sizes or maybe two different sizes of those products as well. So yeah. by using something like TrueFit, you can give them, you can basically say, this is the size for you. This is the one you Actually. want to buy. So yeah, they can buy those three different products and hopefully keep all three. And then yeah, you're going to, then you're going to get that full kind of well, share of wallet, I guess. You know, you're going to get that full hundred pounds. Um, hopefully with no return. But then there's, you know, because there's also not only the inconvenience of, you know, the operational pain from knowing that you either, you know, you're sort of, um, you're going to have some of those items back. You've then got stock that's out of the system. Um, you've got stock that then needs to be repurposed, um, and, and sort of either steamed or checked. And every, you know, every person in the warehouse that has to touch that garment is an extra financial sort of you know it's extra pennies um or or points of pennies but it all adds up if you're a large you know over a billion pound sort of retailer fashion retailer um and also don't forget that the lower the price point um such as um you know certain sort of uh, high street brands you those sort of garments have only got a certain amount of returns in them before they become then um, you know you just can't sell them yeah um, they're not sellable so then they have to go um into this sort of um this sort of different part of the business and essentially it's a stock write-off so again it's another part of just 
tidying up the supply chain, truly understanding, um, you know, it's personalization, not just for the customer, but for your own business as well. It's that yeah. sanity of, um, of efficiency, which, which I love. I love efficiencies. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I think I saw my been a couple of years ago. Um, someone at ACE, I think it was ASOS mentioned that they get about 40% return rate, which is insane. Yeah. But they, I think they offer free returns and everything. And I'm, yeah. I'm sure there were people when I, when I was still back in an office working at, for a company, mm-hmm. um, I'm sure there were people who were ordering products, uh, ordering items, getting it delivered to the office. And those items, the, the, the only time they left the office again was to go back to ASOS. They never even yeah. made it home because they'd just quickly check them out in the, uh, in the office. If they didn't like yeah. them. They'd just wrap them back up and, and send them back. Just to say, I, I don't want to move off topic too much with this question but it, i'd be really interested to hear your thoughts on things like klarna which allow people to yeah. obviously pay installments but also pay later and pay off the 30 days yeah. so combined yeah. with free delivery free returns you you could load up a bag with 1500 pounds worth of product uh, and and send it all back because yeah. you've you've not had to pay anything um, I yeah. mean, there might be some, rest- I think there are some restrictions in Klarna on what you can spend, but yeah, uh, just, just quickly, what's, what are your thoughts on that then? You know, I am, I'm a big fan of Klarna and I tell you why it's this, um, democratization to a certain extent. So when I worked at, um, Shop Direct, you know, Shop Direct have, they're a retailer, but they're also a lender too. So that kind of really started to educate me in what is essentially store credit. Um, Klarna, I think, is um, the real sort of the way that they, um, they have a very sensitive approach to credit. Uh, they're very responsible. Um, and they drive a real sort of um, increasing conversion for many of the partners that they they sit on. So it's one of those really, I know that many people kind of like thought, oh, it's just a little bit grubby. And I don't mean to say that sort of in a, you know, in a negative way. Um, but I've always been sort of very much, listen, you have to understand and appreciate that there are many people uh, who would love to be able to buy more of your brand. Um, or if they're buying it already, um, you know, more frequently, obviously, or into the, the higher sort of levels of price point, um, or they, they aspire to buy your brand. And this is an option that helps them. So actually what it does is it drives an incremental customer to your, um, to your channel. So when you're looking at, um, you know, the accessible luxury sector, it's um it's a real it's a real game changer. That's kind of what really where I when I joined Berry uh, and I was launching the premium platform uh, Berry exclusive, and I was talking to Moschino or Vivian Westwood and or Paul Smith, and I was saying, listen, you know, the to to give your to give the customer who aspires to buy your brand the ability to a buy it or buy more frequently, you will have an extremely a loyal customer, but you're driving an incremental customer. This is a customer who will not be buying, you know, the, this brand from anywhere else. So I feel that it's, um, I, I, yeah, I really, I do like Lana, I must say, and I, I have used it. 
it's a really easy experience um and um yeah but i know it's it's a hard one for many people but many people don't like it mm. yeah it's an interesting one i mean I, i've seen it used a lot um i've seen the numbers yeah the numbers are great so there's there's definitely a a positive effect in terms of you know average order values conversion rates and things but yeah i just wonder if it's uh if it's also contributing to that kind of uh um maybe additional returns and that that kind of logistical problem yeah but you see i think that that's not um necessarily at klarna's um sort of it's not a klarna's feat to to bird you know to take that burden i think it's on if if a retailer or a brand doesn't want to drive efficiencies and remove those operational losses um for these you know the the returns um and sample sizing or sequential um sizing so that's when i buy a small and um it's the wrong size i return it and i buy another different size you know that's what the the industry should be focused on because then happy days you know ultimately you can um you can really drive some some amazing momentum and some great full price selling if you have a a duo of uh, personalization stack that's showing the customer exactly what they want plus um you know a a, a payment uh, tool that democratizes the the affordability then you know it's um we're helping to uh to get the the industry sort of in a in a good place yeah yeah absolutely what what do you think are the the big trends that we're going to be seeing over the next kind of 18 months i guess obviously it has to be a bit driven by business but in maybe in how consumers want to to see things personalized as well what consumers will want well, look, I mean, I think the customer is very much ahead of, um, ahead of retail, um, and the industry in terms of their, you know, their, their want for a more personalized experience. Um, so it's on us to, uh, to step up. I think when we look at from, um, an industry perspective, you know, it's going to be all about protecting margin. Um, absolutely. It's um, that's the way that we get through 2021. Um, it's about, you know, being hyper aware of anything that's that eats into your margin, especially uh, cost of customer acquisition. I think it's going to be very much a focus on retention. How do you retain? How do you sort of retain, um, you know, the volumes of customers? You understand who they are. You give them the product that they want at the price that they're looking for, even potentially with a climate to support the purchase. But, you know, that's going to be really important. I think, you know, I've always said that, you know, in the early 2000s, it was e-com that disrupted the sector. Um, today, it's the customer um, that's disrupting the sector. The customer is more ahead of, of the of the retail industry from a, a digital sort of acceleration the retail sector but today it's the customer that's disrupting the retail sector um and they're much more advanced and sophisticated in terms of their expectations so now it's our job to catch up yeah absolutely and i think the the increased usage of third-party tools um that help retailers do that is definitely helping um yeah it also means that if your competitor has those tools and you don't then the 
the customer expectations get set higher by your competitors and, and you're going to fall yeah. behind by, by not being able to provide those options, things like Klarna. You know, if, if you totally. don't have Klarna or a Klarna competitor on your website, there is the risk that the customer will go somewhere else and go look for that product. Yeah. It is, yeah. I think it is kind of seen as that, um, you know, it's, it's not just buy now, pay later. Excellent. I've, I've got a month to pay off for the, these clothing or whatever. I think there's a bit of a security thing maybe as well. People thinking, you know, I don't have to worry about, uh, getting my money back if I return my products and then things like that. Yeah. You know? Um, and I think sometimes, you know, that what makes us great retailers is to to put ourselves back in the um, to think like a customer um, and not think like a retailer. Um, you know, so a lot of the time we, um, you know, when I'm any part of an experience that I used to when I was um, either at uh, exclusive or wardrobe, any part of the customer journey, I would go back to the basics of what do I want versus as a retailer, how do I want you to behave? Because um, we can't do that unless we have highly sophisticated sort of tools to uh, enhance that customer journey. Um, but really um, it's, it's just a, a facet. I, look, I always say it's a real privilege to work in retail at this sort of um, pivotal time because we can really help influence the the way the customer browse browses and shops. Um, so I, you know, I this is why I love retail. Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing massive changes with the clients I'm working with, and and desire to to take things to the next level um, yeah. as well, and give people totally. give people a very different customer experience. It's no longer just about oh, we need to replatform, upgrade our website, have a better design. It's there's there's a lot more what what should that design be like do we want to just be a catalog website for e-commerce or is there a way we can give people that actual kind of better customer journey and, and purchasing experience yeah totally totally um do you do you have any pet peeves when it comes to marketing i have a peeve for every occasion <laughs> i am yeah. extremely tricky person to uh try and please you know what I hate? I've got many things. Cyber stalking, I can't stand it. Um, again, it's so, um, we're so past those days, um, where you would be stalked by product that you've just happened. Heaven forbid it's an item that you've, you know, either you made a mistake and clicked on it or you were looking at some random item, um, on behalf of someone else. And then that damn thing follows you around or yep. heaven forbid. And it's just happened to me as well, where I've clicked on an item. I've then subsequently gone by, gone back, purchased it. But then that item is still stalking me wherever I go. I think that's it's just sloppy stuff like that that drives me mad. And at that point, I think, well, more fool you, because you're going to be paying for this item to stalk me. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's that annoys me as well, because that's not. I don't really see that as well. Yeah. Most of the time I don't see that as bad marketing. I see it as sloppy. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not just a, it's not a bad marketing tactic. It's the, the retargeting tactic is fine. It's just, you've been sloppy and not set it up properly and, yeah, and not taken totally. into to account certain pieces of data. 
And um, I think it's, it yeah. should also be relevant to, there should be stricter rules that one applies to, um, to the, the sort of retargeting campaign as an example. You know, it's just, again, I just think it's, um, it's something that, um, was really prevalent. Um, but actually I, I think the, the customer, uh, is so you know that they're, they're kind of like just numb to it because they know what what we're doing as an industry and they're just simply not interested yeah um i mean it, it, it does work because you know it, it is still a thing i know loads of people are working it uh, using it really well um yeah but i think there's i think you know if, if i've it, let, it, if i've looked at a product and left the website i'm not really interested right now or i might be distracted yeah. or something but if you bring yeah. that product back to me tomorrow, you might catch me at the moment where I say, oh, yeah, no, I do want this. Um, yeah. Or I might just not and be the, interested and I've changed my mind completely. <laughs> yeah, but also be canny about it. You know, look at, look at, you know, is, is the, the thing that stopped me from purchasing, is it, is it because there's a consideration in price point? Um, you know, if it's because stuff like that, yeah, okay. You know, I, I still think there's something about just constantly seeing it's like, oh, geez, not you again. Um, where you're actually more likely to be sick to death of seeing the thing follow you around. Um, but it, you know, people just need to apply a little bit more logic and, um, you know, not so much blanket rules. Um, because, you know, again, it's just blanket rules that, um, that spray and pray approach, which, uh, which I, I've never appreciated as a customer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so finally, do, do you think there's any particular market, uh, aspect of marketing that's underrated at the moment? You know, I think, um, I think the idea of building an experience and curating an edit that makes customers feel like they belong is essentially what marketing is all about. And I think sometimes people have forgotten that. Um, and even, you know, that's even more important when it comes to fashion because we're all part of fashion, you know, tribes. Um, so in some ways it's quite easy to dissect us because, you know, we're not as much as we like to think we're individuals. We're really not. Um, all our behaviors and likes are, you know, can be, uh, can be tracked and understood, analyzed and also predicted for the future. Um, you know, I think again, um, the customer wants to take back control of how they engage with the customer and the types of relationships that they want from retailers. Um, and they're kind of reimagining their own rules. Um, and so therefore the, the, the retailers need to adapt. So digital marketing is needed more than ever. And intelligent digital marketing is mo- needed more than ever. And I think that starts with the retail one on one of you know understanding your customer and and developing creating a personalized um experience for them which you know goes as deep as um as the product feeds on your you know on the listing page yeah i completely agree it's it's what you said earlier about um you know you need to view the business as a consumer not yeah not from an internal point of view because you're always going to be you're going to have a completely different opinion on it if you think of it if you're thinking about things from the the business point of view, um, totally. Whereas, yeah, yeah, if you just think, right, what what would I want? You know, if if I was if I stumbled across this website um, because I'd seen an advert or whatever, what would I want to experience on this website that would get me to purchase? 
Um, yeah, no, absolutely. And, and a lot of the time, the answer is definitely not a massive banner with a discount or timers or, you know, those sort of little yeah. kind of trick, not tricks, but those things which are just not very subtle and, and kind of get ignored yeah. a lot if they're, if they're not used correctly. Well, absolutely. Um, and, you know, find other ways of delighting the customer that, you know, that isn't just the, the lazy sort of lever of, um, of sort of trotting out the, um, the discount codes, but actually, you know, get to know them, um, get to understand them and, you know, and drive, drive a healthier business. I mean, that's what everyone should aspire to do. Absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent agree with you. Awesome stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, really great talking about personalization. Um, I think, yeah, it's, it'd be really great to see more businesses taking it to, to the next level and not just recommending kind of similar categories to what you've picked before. Yeah. So, um, what's the best way of finding out more if people want to, uh, get in touch with you or? So, yeah. So, um, my email is, uh, scurran at truefit.com, uh, or go to, um, truefit.com dot com um our website and you know you can request a live demo uh or more information we've got some amazing sort of case studies as well um but yeah i i feel free to reach out via via email awesome thank you so much sarah it's a pleasure and thank you so much i've really i've thoroughly enjoyed putting the retail world world to rights with you it's no longer enough to just drop your customer's first name at the start of an email and then dump a load of random products in, maybe segmented by gender or, you know, a loose category. You need to be using far more detail in the data and personalizing as much of the customer experience as possible on a pretty much a one-to-one basis. We should be done with the days of just blasting out emails with some basic segmentation and saying, all right, you've bought men's shirts before, so here are some more men's shirts. Now we need to be looking at, you know, what style of shirt did they buy? What colours did they buy? Are there any particular items they buy alongside those shirts? If you don't have that data or don't really know where to start, try interviewing some customers. You know, send them a survey asking what their top use cases are and what styles they prefer. Get on the phone with a bunch of people to see how they perceive your brand as well. All this info will then help you work out what personalization you need to be looking at and what's going to work for your business and your audience. If you'd like to find out more, head over to truefit.com or find Sarah on LinkedIn. Any other podcast questions, feedback, guest requests, etc., just send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com. Next up, I'm speaking with Charlotte Purvis, all about customer service and how integrity is to a business. But until then, keep those customers clicking. Mm-hmm.